Amen. Good morning and welcome to Lakeside Christian Church. It's a joy for you to be with us this morning and it is uh, my privilege and pleasure to be able to deliver to you the word of God that he has given us. I just wanted to go back to the announcement that uh, Michael began. Breakout Conference is a, as a youth conference put on by the, the Akron Area Youth Workers Network. Uh, 15 or so churches come together each year, uh, the youth pastors do, to put on a conference, a local conference for our teens. Um, and its idea is to help the teens break out of the, the walls of the church and live their faith in the community. And this year's theme is Veritas, or Truth. Uh, what is the truth, and we're going to look at that Jesus Christ is the truth, and, and we're going to look at what it means to abide in Christ and to, uh, to follow the truth and know the truth and examine the truth. And I think it's, a, it's an appropriate uh, to extend a little bit of time on that announcement this morning because we are going to indeed look at the Bible as the truth and, uh, and what we need to hold fast and firm in our lives and how then that would impact our, our daily lives as we go about our business. And, and really as... Uh, as even this last week, uh, just going through different friends' Facebook posts and watching what's going on around social media and even in um, just articles that are being written and, uh, and shared and, and reading some of those and interacting with people on the culture and how Christianity, how our faith is to be lived out and watching how individuals within the church, within, what, within the church that call themselves Christian, how they interact with God's word and understand Christ as Lord or as King in their life, and and how they then begin to change what the Word of God says in order that they can continue in the lifestyle that they choose to live, and uh, and to call oneself a Christian and then say that Jesus Christ is King in my life, and then to say what I really don't have to pay attention to His commands or His Word uh, is not what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Christ. And this morning, as we continue in the the series in Acts, we're going to be looking at that the message that Paul was taking uh, to the people led them to understand that he was saying there is another king. And stepping back into first century, uh, in the early church, when they were were beginning the the first works of taking the gospel around the community, there was an emperor, there was the Caesar who was king, and that to declare another king could cost them their very lives. And we see throughout the the New Testament, we see uh, their interaction on how they got in trouble very often for declaring that Jesus Christ is king, that he is the king of all kings. And even Pilate asked Jesus, are you, are you the king? And Jesus is uh, the king. His, his, sorry, his, uh, his kingdom is not of this world. And his kingdom is advancing on, uh, in a way unlike any other earthly kingdom, but he is, his, he is king, he is sovereign, and it is so important that we, who call ourselves Christ's followers, understand what it means that there is another king. That today we are, we are ruled by presidents and governors and senators, but there's a king above all kings. In Daniel we see that Jesus is the one who sets up kingdoms and removes kingdoms, that all authorities get their authority from Jesus Christ. And it is this king that we get to worship. It is this king who we just sang about, the one who gave himself for us that we might know him and be reconciled to him. And so this morning, if you would turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 17, we'll be uh, continuing on in our series. Uh, It's on page 926 from the Pew Bibles provided. And we'll read through the first 15 verses this morning. And I'm going to try to pronounce these city names correctly, but uh, they're kind of fun. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. 
And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and on taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also. They came there, too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to, to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Whoa. I don't know what that was. So uh, this, uh, this morning, as we look at Paul and Silas and, and Timothy as they travel through Thessalonica into Berea, we see a, a few things happening. First, Paul, as was his custom, went into the synagogue and reasoned with the, the Jewish people there, those who had an understanding of the Old Testament and the prophecies. And he reasoned with them and shared with them through the, the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, of how he must die and he must rise again from the dead, that this was the Christ. Uh, but then they, they became jealous, and they, they persecuted him, and, and they escaped there and went off into Berea. And, and so we have this, uh, this very interesting story of even how they couldn't find Paul and Silas, so they went after this guy Jason who hosted uh, them in this home and made him pay a tax so that, um, before they let him go. And it was just a, an interesting story, and I think it, it's, it's pretty straightforward to hear what happened. You know, a couple questions in the text are how long did he actually stay in Thessalonica? Was it three weeks or was it many months? Um, he was there three Sundays, uh, uh, three Sabbath days in the synagogue. Uh, but in Thessalonians, if you read the, read the story, he, uh, he said that he, he was so affectionately desirous of them that he not only shared the gospel of God, but his, his life as well. And it, it seems to imply that he had been in the city for quite some time and imparted his, his, his life to them and watching then how they had become imitators and followers of Christ uh, uh, through Paul's testimony. Um, but I think that this, this text helps us see some very practical things for, for our own lives today and our encounter with the gospel and how we are to follow Paul's pattern as he went through uh, this missionary journey. And um, so I wanted to start with uh, the gospel is, is reasonable. It says Paul, as his custom, went into the synagogue and reasoned with them. And I think when we come to 
understanding our faith and what it means to be a Christ follower, some people think to become a Christian means that we, we check our intellect at the door and we all become stupid to follow Jesus. And that seems to be what the culture makes it sound like and, and, and in a lot of debates. It's just, you know, Christians are dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. But what we begin to see is as we pour ourselves into the Bible and we begin to look at the gospel and we look at Jesus Christ, we begin to see that is a very reasonable faith. The Christian faith has a rationale behind it. It has reasons. It is actually an evidentiary faith. It is one that is built upon the evidences. And if we consider ourselves more like in a courtroom and we begin to gather the evidences of why God exists and, and who is Jesus and the gospel and the impact and we look at all the evidence to, look, to, to see we have a very reasonable faith and this is a, the starting point that Paul begins with. There is reasons to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And he begins to go through and show how you can have faith in Christ. He's, uh, you know, and I, I once heard it said this way that, you know, it's not the, ma- the size of faith you have in the object, but the size of the object in which you place your faith in. Some, like if you talk about um, a lot of faith walking out on thin ice, you know, the ice could break, and, and you never know how thick the ice actually is. But it doesn't take a lot of faith to walk onto a, a concrete structure, knowing that it is immovable and it's not going to uh, budge at all. And when we, when we begin to examine the evidences, we find that Jesus Christ is this immovable rock. He is a sure foundation, and there is reason to believe in him. And so when I have a little bit of faith in a solid foundation, it is much better than having a big faith and a very uh, thin ice, small reason. So... Paul begins by saying here that uh, he proved to them that that Jesus um, was a Christ, explaining that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead uh, through the scriptures. And so he began again with where they're at. And I think as we look through uh, Acts, we, we see that Paul was very accustomed to knowing the understanding of his audience. And so here he's with the Jewish audience that had an understanding of the, the Hebrew Old Testament. And so he began to walk them through what they knew. In other passages, we see that he's talking to a Greek audience who doesn't know the scripture. So he begins much farther back, beginning that God is the creator of all things and spoke the world into existence and that he is the one who sustains all things. And, and he begins to shape the story of God so that they could understand the need for sacrifice and why the Messiah must come. But we see here that, that he began with the scriptures and perhaps he went to Genesis three, fifteen, which uh, right after Adam and Eve chose to to fall, chose the the fruit over God's command, where the first evidence where they believed the lie of the enemy, who questioned God's word, and and then chose to make themselves God or the authority or their own king in their life, and they ate the forbidden fruit, that in the curse, God provided a promise that said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." In this prophecy, we have that there is one who is going to come through the seed of woman who will put an end to the serpent, to the, 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 the enemy, to Satan himself, that this beginning, this first testimony of good news that's coming, there is a Messiah, there is a Redeemer that is going to come. And then through, uh, I, think, I think i got to move this. <laughs> Can I try this pocket? See if this... Uh, See if that's better. Um, but if we would have time to look at Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53, are two amazing uh, prophecies of the crucifixion of, 
of the Messiah coming to die, of the suffering servant, to very intricate detail that, that was written hundreds of years before Christ came and, and hundreds of years before crucifixion even existed. And, and they testified to the coming Messiah. But I did want to look at Zechariah 12.10, 12, and, uh, and, and it says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And throughout this Old Testament, there's prophecies of a coming one, one who is going to suffer and die, one who is going to be uh, pierced for our sins and for our iniquities, and that he would pay for our, our debt that we owe. And then, uh, but if we also took some time and look at the scriptures and we look at the historicity of the Bible, even today as we look back and see why is our faith a reasonable faith, why is it that we can hold to this Bible, this book that we have, is because of how the transmission of the Bible and the New Testament has come across to us through the, the manuscripts that have come out from going from Greek and, and Aramaic and, and Hebrew into English today, and we can follow the line back and see that unlike any other book in history, the preciseness in which it has been uh, passed down to us, that it is indeed a book that we can, be, we can count on. Even in this own passage here, there is an archaeological evidence of the, uh, the consistency and the historical reliability of the New Testament. In the, uh, when it says when they had taken Jason, they brought him into the, the city officials, uh, the, the Greek word is only used here, the, the politarchs, uh, and has been, was considered one of the things saying, well, this, this has to be a myth because that's, that's not a, a word used in the Greek. But in their excavating of Thessalonica, they found an arch that exists to this day that they have completely unearthed that had that term etched into uh, the arch right there as what they called their city officials and their group. And it was just this archaeological evidence that demonstrates the reliability of the New Testament. And there are so many different things which I'd love to get into, but then it would feel more like a college lecture and not as much as a sermon. So I'm going to keep moving. But the, the Christian faith is a reasonable faith. There's reasons for us to hold, in, hold on to the Bible and the reasons for us to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and has done what he promised to do. So we see the gospel is reliable, but we also see the gospel is to be proclaimed. It says, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. That, that, G, that Paul went forward proclaiming the message, preaching the message of Jesus Christ to those he came in contact with because he believed, as Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. That when we preach the word of God, when we proclaim the word of God, when we herald the word of God, we are telling them how they can know this one true God. We can help them see who Jesus Christ is and how they can find salvation uh, in him. And so we must herald or proclaim. Now, the word we use for gospel was originally used in its context to declare the movement of a king. That it was reserved for when the emperor would move or, or the armies would move of the emperor. And so when they used it in the New Testament that the king is moving, Jesus Christ is moving, the gospel is that there is another king and he is on the move. And he is offering a free gift of salvation to those who believe in him now. But one day he will return to restore all things, to set up his, his kingdom. And he's declaring that. And so we need to proclaim the gospel. 
that, um, and especially in our day and age today, when, when people are doubting this book and they're casting judgment upon this book or setting themselves up as an authority over this book. And I know here at Lakeside, we believe that we only have something to offer to you when we are in submission to this book, that it is our authority for, for life and, and practice, that as we come and preach the Word of God, we want to, to share with you what God has said, uh, because his words are divine words. His words are holy words, not our own. And so I wanted to share and read with you Second um, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It's on page 996, if you'd like to follow along. But Paul is, is talking to Timothy, in which I, as, uh, as you read through Thessalonians and, and you read through the, the writings of Timothy, in this part of the journey, Paul, uh, Timothy is, is following along with Paul and Silas. And, and to think that even as... Timothy, as a young man following this great missionary, learning from him and hearing from him, uh, you know, through the, the, the good times and through the bad times, through the, the, the campfires they must have sat around after Paul and Silas were persecuted or released from prison or all these things, that he, he had this opportunity to, to listen to Paul and, and hear of him. And so Paul, towards the end of his life, is going to charge this same Timothy who had been with him in Thessalonica and then to Berea. And he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths." Paul's telling young Timothy to, to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, tell people about who King Jesus is. Paint a picture for them, lay forth the evidences, and allow them to choose the truth. Allow them to hear the truth. And, and today we often have those who just want to dance around the truth or don't want to give the truth fully to us. They, they want to hold back or, or they want to say, well, Jesus certainly didn't quite mean that. He had to mean something else because it makes me uncomfortable to, li- to read what he actually said. But Jesus said these things. The word of God says what it says for a reason. And it is our jobs to come to it and submit to the word of God and then to proclaim the word of God and allow God to be the one. Man. So, <laughs> so we need to realize that it is so important about how we communicate God's word. Someone once said, preach the word every day or preach the gospel every day, and if you have to, use words. But I, I, I don't agree with I, In part, I agree with that. You need to live a life that is consistent with the message, or else people will not listen to what you're saying. But we have to proclaim the good news. It's not just something that is lived out. It's something that is proclaimed. It has to be spoken. And so we must learn what it means to share the word of God. And this, uh, last week in the youth group, and I went to Dare to Share, and uh, another uh, opportunity we have to learn how to share our faith. And we, we learn it in six phrases uh, to help us understand the whole picture, the whole counsel of God's word. But it just begins with God created us to be with him, but our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sins, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who believes in Christ alone has eternal life, and life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. And it's just the gospel, life in six words, God our sins, paying everyone life, is, is the way they have helped us to understand the whole counsel of God's word and see how it comes together. And there's a 
great resource online called Life in Six Words. Okay. So um, I'll try to stop moving if I can. That's going to be impossible. I'm a youth pastor. We move. So I don't know if this will be better or not. So we'll get through this, I promise. Uh, just have to make me go quicker, and you guys won't mind getting out sooner, right? So, um, so the gospel is to be proclaimed, learning how we can be effective at sharing our faith in, in a way that paints a picture, doesn't force the gospel on people, but allows them to see who Christ is, that we preach it in a clear, accurate way, holding forth to the word of life. And so then we... I just need a podium right there. So I'm going to stand right behind my table and not move. So, um, and find my place. So I think uh, in the New Testament, I said Satan uh, was Beelzebub, the lord of the flies. And I think, you know, back then they, they, they had the, the problem with flies. Just, we have the two, but they would bother people. I think Beelzebub today in our context means the lord of technology. And he likes to mess with us and distract us through technology. But God is greater, and we are going to get through this um, this morning. So, uh so the gospel is to be proclaimed, but the gospel is, is defining. It says here that um, these people, they, they turn the world upside down. That in the, in the context in which they were delivering the message, that, the, that they were um, upset. The Jewish leaders, they got jealous, and they pursued them, but they couldn't find them, so they even attacked Jason um, and his household. You know, and it was the gospel is defining that it is one, when we proclaim it, it forces you to a point of decision. It forces others to a point of decision that they must choose either to acknowledge Jesus as king or to reject him as king. There's no middle ground. The gospel is defining that we're either going towards Christ or drifting from Christ. There is no standing in the middle. There's no waiting ground. There's no standing on the fence. If you think you're standing on the fence, you're already drifting farther from Christ. You're rejecting what he's commanded you. You have to go forward. There's always going forward. You follow Christ. He didn't come, say, come and sit around and wait. He says, come follow me. Come follow Christ. Come follow your king. And they did. And what happens is the world was turned upside down. Their lives were rearranged. The, everybody around them was impacted by what they were saying, what they were doing. And, uh, and we need to follow after that as well. Uh, Joshua uh, said this to the people, uh, the Israelites, in Joshua 24. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We, we need to choose. Are we going to do what culture says? Are we going to do uh, what, what I want to do inside myself? Am I going to allow somebody else to tell me what to do? Or am I going to follow after Jesus Christ? Am I going to choose to serve him? Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, But we preach Christ and him crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. The message that we share, the gospel, doesn't make sense until God opens our eyes to it. It is a stumbling block. It is a folly to those, but it brings us to a point of decision. We must choose this day who we're going to serve, whether it be God and follow the Bible or be ourselves or, or set ourselves up a king or some other God. And it is a defining moment. Even as we 
See, when Paul and Silas moved off into Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, and they came to agitating and stirring up the crowds. They had made their decision that they didn't want to hear the message. They didn't want to hear the truth. They didn't want to hear the gospel, and so they began to disrupt things because the gospel is defining. And lastly, the gospel is clear. We see here that... um, that when Paul and, and Silas went to Berea, um, I love this passage, and, and this is where I want to spend some good time on it when we look at our own lives. It says, Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed. So here we have that the, the gospel is it's clear, it's accessible. It's the self-disclosure of God, that the word of God was given to us, the good news of God was given to us, that we might know God, that he spoke to us in a way that we can comprehend and understand that when we come to it and we submit ourselves to it, that God reveals himself to us. It says um, that they received the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, that, that we need to hear the word of God. We need to hear the gospel again, which goes back to why we must proclaim it, because how can they believe unless they hear the truth of who Jesus Christ is? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That when we come to this book, that this book has been given to us from divine origin, that Jesus breathed this out to us, that we might hold his word precious and dear, that we might have what he wants us to know concerning who he is, his character, how we can know him, what the gospel is, and then how we can follow after him. We have to learn that we come to God not on our own means, but in the way he's provided, that we must come to him on his own terms. And he says that when we get into the Bible, that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. It is profitable for our lives and how we are to live and how we are about to go about, uh, through our day. And so when they heard of the, the Jews here in Berea, they received the word with eagerness. I thought of that even as Jesus asked Peter says, are you, uh, and the disciples, are you going to abandon me too? And, and Simon Peter said in John six sixty eight says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus Christ is the one who has the words of life. And when we understand that the word of God is clear, it's accessible, it's something we can understand, and it is the words of life, it should be cause for us to desire it, to, eager, to be eager to understand it and to pursue it. And then it says that they examine the scriptures daily. And I thought of, as Paul instructed young Timothy again in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So one translation says to study to show yourself approved, to do the work of knowing what the word of God says, so that you will not be put to shame. When people question you or ask you why you believe what you believe, that you will have a ready answer, a defense to give to them of why you believe these things. And so we need to, to get into it. And I, and I like how he says here, um, 
rightly handling the word of truth. The, the term he uses is, is uh, to cut a, a straight line. Uh, Paul was a tent maker. And in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, he had set up his tent making business for some time. And Timothy would have sat with him. And he would have watched him cut that, that fabric to, to make tents. And, he, and to use this word that Timothy would have been aware of. And to see him cut this straight line through the word of God that we rightly handle correctly, true to what it was intended for, that we would understand this and and that that is what we need to do to understand how God has given us his word, what the different types of of, uh, genres of literature that God has has reserved for us through through, uh, the poetry, through his history, through uh, the... um, the letters and how we are to handle each of those in the, in the original historical grammatical context so that we can truly know what God intended for us. The thing is, as, as believers, we, we believe that we all have been give, given the, the Holy Spirit, that through the Holy Spirit we can come to the Scriptures ourselves in our daily Bible reading and understand what God intended for us. And, and that's what the challenge is for each of us to do our best to get into the Word of God daily, to work, do the work to understand what God has for us. And, uh, and so as we see that they did, they received the word with all eagerness, examined the scriptures daily to see if, the, if these things were so, um, that they understood uh, that they, they needed to check even the Apostle Paul on what did Paul say uh, and what, is what he said consistent with what God's word says. You need to check what I'm saying today and what Peter and Stan and whoever else just stands behind this pulpit and preaches to you. Is what we're saying, is it consistent with God's word? That you need to, to go back and read the, the, the pages of scriptures knowing that it is given to you as a gift. And we are, we are privileged, unlike any other people in, in history, to have access to the word of God the way we do. Most of you are probably carrying a smartphone or a, a tablet. Uh, you have access to the Bible wherever you're at. Uh, we all have copies of scriptures. I have numerous uh, books, uh, copies of the scriptures in my home in different translations. And it's just, there's so much available to us. And yet, it mostly just sits on the shelf. It's mostly only opened if we happen to bring it with us to church on Sunday. Or if we go to a midweek study, but... It's there for us. It's the words of God that have been given to us that we can know God, that we can understand him, that we, as we read it, and we see his character and his love for us and his desire for us to be uh, with him and to know him and, and the, the life-giving nature of the word of God. But too often we don't want to submit to the word of God, so therefore we reject the word of God. And on the quote on the back of your... We're doing so good. On the quote on the back of your handout says, this book... The Bible, it will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. And, and the truth of this is, is that when, and I'll testify to it, that when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, when I know that I have a bad attitude or I'm doing things I'm not supposed to, my desire for this book goes down. And, and I, I'm amazed at how disciplined I've been and how many days in a row I've gotten into the Word of God. And then in just a matter of moments, it seems like maybe a day or two, I look back and, man, it's been a couple weeks since I picked up the Bible. It's just this pattern. It's so easy to fall into that we get to a place where we don't, we don't realize that we're not listening to King Jesus tell us how to live our day. And that's why we have to do the daily discipline. One, when, I, when I was first really trying to establish myself uh, as a, in a daily practice of, the, of reading the Word of God, I, was, uh, I just started uh, being a youth pastor and, and beginning to teach the teens that you need to be in the Bible for yourself every day. 
and, um, and realizing that I was being pretty inconsistent. It's hard to tell someone to do something you're not doing yourself. Well, it's easy to say it, but it's hard to, to live it. And so I'm saying, you know what? Um, I'm going I'm to develop a practice. And so I started taking my Bible, and I put it on my pillow every night. Uh, every morning when I got up, I put it on my pillow. And then that night, I would have to literally pick up my Bible uh, before I would go to bed. And if it's in my hand, I might as well read it. And I began to do it and, uh, every day, and it began to become a, a habit. And then pretty soon I got to the place where I didn't need to have it on my pillow every day, but it was my custom to go in and, and grab my Bible and read it right before I go to bed. And, uh, and it, was, it, it's, it is just a, a silly little game that I played with myself to, to get myself in the habit of doing this. But we need to do something because it is hard work. It is hard work to, to discipline yourself to do something, especially when there's a, a real enemy out there who wants to disrupt your life. He's going to find every excuse he can throw at you to get you from reading this book. He's going to do whatever it takes to cause a disruption right before that normal time that you set up to read. And, and that's why we need to be aware of it, and we need to get into the Word of God. We need to spend time in different ways of reading the Scripture. Some some just need to read through a, a book of the Bible at a time or, or read through the Bible in a year. There, there's just something about just feeding the, the pages of scriptures into your mind, even if you're not stopping to ask all the questions, but just reading through the Bible and allow that to define who you are and shape you uh, as you go. Then there's, there's spending a quiet time where you, you look for passages of scriptures that help you connect with God and you work on that relationship. You fall in love with Jesus by spending time in the word of God. There's memorizing scriptures that we must do to, to transform our mind into the image of Christ. And then there's, there's group Bible studies. We need those. We have small groups throughout the week and we, and, uh, we need to come to and, and gather together throughout this week because I'll tell you what, an hour on Sunday morning is not enough to counteract what this world is doing to you throughout the week. And, and we so desperately need to that. We need the accountability of coming together and somebody telling me, uh, Brad, you need to listen to what God's word says. I need people to hold me to this. You need people to hold you to this. We need to follow King Jesus, there is another king. The problem is we have idols, and we need to tear those idols down. We need to submit to the one true king and follow after him. we close with Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is a living and active book. If you get into it, it will change your life. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to open your word encourage one another through the pages of scriptures. I pray this morning, Lord, uh, that, that we'd understand that the gospel is reasonable, it is to be proclaimed, it is defining, and it is clear. Help us to spend time this week um, looking into your word, Lord, and, and developing a practice of spending time with you so that we might understand you and know uh, your movements, knowing that you are king in our life, and you're setting, uh, you're, you're leading us to where you would have us to be. I pray, Lord, that... Um, that you would help us to, to be eager to examine, to do the hard work, and to discipline ourselves. So thankful, Lord, that you have given to us this book that clearly reveals who you are to us so that we might know you and, and your plans for our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.